Hi, I'm Piper. And I'm Erin. Welcome to Off the Tracks Podcast, where we explore what it means to do law differently. Today, we are joined by Gina Alexandros. Gina is the founder and chief enthusiasm officer of her own coaching and consulting company. She is an ever-evolving career champion of current and emerging professionals and creator of innovative and inspiring programs, especially for those who are underserved. Gina is a lifelong learner, and in addition to her law degree from Osgood Hall, she also holds a Master's of Education in Adult Education from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto and a Certificate of Completion for the Art and Practice of Leadership Development Program at the Harvard Kennedy School. Gina is also a certified professional coactive coach, having completed the coaching program from the Coactive Training Institute and holds an associate certified coach credential from the International Coaching Federation. Throughout her career, Gina has worked with thousands of individuals in the legal profession and beyond. We are so thrilled to have Gina join us as a guest on the podcast today. So Gina, we are so thrilled you are here today. I feel like this has been a long time coming. You are like a dream guest for us on Off the Tracks. You fully embody what it looks like to do law differently and to pave your own path and to show that you really can go off the tracks in so many different directions. We would love to hear about how your career has evolved over time. You have had so many cool jobs and have had the opportunity to do such impactful work. And we would just love if you could share that with us. Wow. Um, Well, thank you, first of all, for um, having me on today's session. And also just for those really, really kind words, you know, as you're going through your career, sometimes you forget how cool it is. And sometimes you forget that you're making an impact until you stop and take a breath and say, Oh, what have I done? Um, And, uh, and I think it's really good to hear that uh, afterwards. I think I'll say this, one of the greatest joys for me is when I bump into a former student, a former client, whether it's five months ago, five years ago, or 15 years ago, and they tell me something that was impactful to them at the moment that really changed something for them. And so um, thank you for for making that comment. Um, So my career, let's see, um, I'll start with where I, that you never really know what you want to do until you start getting into it. I had thought I wanted to be a teacher when I was in high school. And I remember doing this project on teaching and what you need to do when I was in like seventh grade or something. And along the way, as many people have, and I've read so many admissions files over the years that I know this is the case for many people, something happened. My parents were involved in this litigation matter that um, got them to visit a lawyer that was in our community, in the Greek community. Um, And each time we would go, or many times that we would go, I would go to help them out because they didn't speak uh, English very well. And so even though he was a Greek lawyer, I still went along with them. And my mom would end up leaving these meetings crying. And I thought, hang on, he is on our side. How is it that my parents, his clients are leaving crying because of how he's um, handling them? And that was the, you know, that season of about a year or so where I said to myself, I don't want any other immigrants to have to experience that. I want them to have more choices, more opportunities, more options. And and I have to give the, the, the credit also to another Greek lawyer on the opposing side showed me a very different way of practicing law, which was more positive. And so I had a really good example and a not that great example. And that was sort of where I pivoted and said, okay, forget teaching. I want to go on into into law. Um, And I realized in my first 
two or three years of practice. I was practicing family law and civil litigation in Toronto in a small firm, um, getting a lot of really great hands-on exposure, but something just felt off. And I know I hear that so many times by people, something feels off and I see people shaking their heads and, you know, it's like, yes. Um, but I couldn't quite pin, put my finger on it. I like the people I worked with for the most part. I like the clients that we worked with. I like the files that were really engaging. Uh, but what I found myself doing, uh, I had been provided the opportunity to participate at, at, with the Ontario Bar Association on two different committees, putting together various conferences, various workshops for the family law file, family law committee, and also um, a broader conference that they had annually. I loved those extracurricular activities. And then one of the partners at the firm got me, um, had the opportunity for me to teach at a uh, community college. It was you know, introductory. It was called Intro to Business Law, but it really was introductory torts and contracts so I could handle it. And it was to um, uh, adult students, adult learners who were in the um, accounting program. And I loved it. I did that for several years. But what I found myself doing was really enjoying those extracurricular hours. And so here's where the teaching, I think, came up. And not that great for the for the other hours that I was doing, but I didn't know what to do. Um, I finally got myself a, uh, um, and I'm going to pause soon just to, to see sort of how far I should, you know, when I should move on. But I think the important part was the very beginning where um, I found myself a coach when coaches really didn't exist. She was a psychologist who was doing career psychology. And I, I found myself going to her because I felt so... Um, uneasy about where I was going, what I was doing, and I needed to talk to somebody. My my parents had never been to university, let alone law school. They weren't professionals. My family members really didn't understand that experience either. And so I wanted to talk to somebody who who could give me some support and guidance. Um, going through that process, as well as applying to roles that were similar, and feeling each time I applied them, going, you know. <laughs> I would just be leaving one organization that I like for another organization that would be brand new, still doing the same thing. And it wasn't until I could remember myself many years ago, uh, sitting in my family room, opening up the Ontario reports, because at that point we had them in paper copy, they weren't digital. And an ad came up for a career development officer to create the first career development office at, uh, at Osgoode Hall Law School. And I thought, oh, the way it was described, you know, you're starting something brand new, you're working with students, you're being able to develop career programs. And there was something about that that just said, yes, this is the path that I want to take more than any other ad that I'd seen or application that I'd made any time that last year. Um, and I, I applied. There were two positions. And I have to say, it's interesting for this role that I, you know, the, the way that my career has taken on. Um, in that instance, I remember applying for two positions. One was an alumni role and this, this career role. I had the alumni interview first. Messed it up entirely. Everything from how I dressed for the interview to how I answered. Um, but luckily, the dean who, who was on both committees called me back and said, we really didn't think you were ready for the alumni role. I'm really not suited for it at all. But things that you said at that interview, suggest to us you might be the person for this other role. So I'm always grateful that she called me back. She sort of saw past my, my mistakes, called me back, and I got the job to start the career development office uh, at Osgoode. And that was at a season, the only other person who was in such a role at that time was at the University of Toronto. And so together with her, 
we started collaborating and collaborating with new people that were coming on in that career development space. And I know Piper, you're sort of in that space now uh, as well. Um, but growing that community, the resources, the programs, the systems, uh, and growing that role from something that never existed into something that's now commonplace and you would never think about a law school without that kind of a place. Let me just pause to see if you want me to move forward first. And it's so funny to think about, Gina, how those roles never existed, because today, um, the day that we're recording, I, um, over my lunch hour, had the CLCDN meeting where all of the people in these roles across Canada get on a Zoom call every two weeks and meet and collaborate. And I don't know, there were 20 or 30 of us on the call today and, and every two weeks. And so it's it's wild to think that, that there was a time where it was just you and your colleague um, so to, so to speak, across the street at U of T. Um, Gina, I feel like a theme in your career, whether intentional or not, I'm going to guess that it wasn't intentional, has been kind of building something from nothing. I feel like you've done that at many stages throughout your career. Can you tell us a little bit about the programs you've built, you know, both in building the career development office in building out parts of the LPP and programming for internationally trained lawyers We'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, no, thank you for that question because it wasn't an intentional um, theme or an intentional um, goal at the beginning. It really wasn't, you know, as as you said, um, starting from scratch, literally no office, you know, a box was a theme that I had at three or four different locations in my my career. Um, And it really, I think that's one of the things that I want to say to those who are listening you don't necessarily know what roles will actually exist in a few years time, because at at many points in my career, there were new things that we were creating together with others or that we were proposing to others. And um, there's a a phrase that somebody at then Ryerson, now uh, TMU had come up with that had said that really resonated with, with me, which was, I was an entrepreneur for many years before I even realized it. So creating new new programs, creating new opportunities internally within an organization, that still takes that curiosity, the risk of failure, the all the things that an entrepreneur brings, I hadn't realized, but I was bringing into those roles. So um, even as the assistant dean of student services at Osgood, there were new programs that we were putting together, you know, whether there was no housing at Osgood for specifically for law students, we, we created that. There was no, um, there was something that we developed called the Osgood Cup. It was a mooting opportunity for undergraduate students. We saw that there was mooting for law students, mooting for high school oftentimes, but nothing in, in between. And so being able to sort of create that. The funniest thing for any of you who have gone to law school recently or who are in admissions, for example, our law school, when I became assistant, didn't have a brochure. <laughs> they had this, you know, two or three pages. And we thought, oh, we really need something to to highlight the successes and the possibilities. And so creating even that brochure was something that we hadn't expected. Moving from Osgood to the U of T's internationally trained lawyers program, um, again, the timing worked because I thought, hmm, I've been at Osgood now in total about 12 years. There was something pulling me to start something new and I just didn't know what it was. But then when I got the call to say, U of T had received funding to start this program, this bridge program, and they needed somebody who had seen um, the student experience from from birth to to graduation, Uh, you know, from the recruitment side, the admission side, the career, the 
course development, the faculty engagement, the policies and rules that were required. And so the that alone, because of my experience in that role as assistant dean, really put me in a good position for starting that role. But again, it was starting something from scratch. And so uh, I remember on the very first day, we didn't have a team yet. I had the one person who had hired me, and then we were to put together a team. And I had an office with a, uh, a chair. I had a box that served as my desk and a phone. And that was it. And I thought, what am I doing here? How am I going to create something out of this? And lo and behold, when you have you know really great teams with great intentions and, and drawing on everybody's experiences together you really do create something that can be quite fabulous. And the Internationally Trained Lawyers Program, I think, was really the um, uh, the launch pad for a lot of the programs that we see now for internationally educated lawyers, whether it's the Osgood um, LLM program, whether it's the ones out in Calgary, whether it's um, a number of other programs that have now launched the U of T program that is an LLM. Recognizing there was a need, there was a, a group of people who were not being serviced appropriately, internationally educated uh, lawyers and law graduates really had very few opportunities beforehand to understand the requirements and to get that exposure and experience. So that was really uh, great. And then I left that role, and I'll come back to it at another time, but I left that role to take on the role which was very different, an experienced role in the Ministry of the Attorney General here in Ontario to create and uh, and continue with strategic planning and professional development for the department. And there are, I hadn't realized it, there are about seven, 800 lawyers and X number of staff. And that role was not creating something new. That role was um, working with and identifying the needs of the um, lawyers and other professionals and moving that forward. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment, but what that did, that allowed me then, and I continued being connected with TMU, the then Ryerson. And when I called them to congratulate them on receiving the uh, contract for the law society by the law society for the law practice program. I said, "Hey, I'm looking forward to you as a potential employer, the, the provincial government um, of your your candidates, your students." They said, "Let's have a conversation. Uh, work together in a different capacity." And again, the ability to start something from the ground floor was really, really exciting and really interesting. And seeing the gap that existed for a number of people who were going through the licensing process but didn't have the opportunity to complete the licensing process because of limited articling opportunities. And to create a different way of, a different pathway was really, really neat. And you'll see I'm, I'm intentionally not using the word alternative. I don't look at these careers at all as alternative. I don't look at these pathways as alternative. They're additional ways. Um, alternative puts a different context for people and a different you probably have heard this before with some of the podcasts that you've had. When you say the word alternative, all of a sudden people think, oh, no, that, that can't be as good or there's a differentiation. So I very intentionally try and steer away from alternative, um, the word alternative, and use additional or some other language. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to um, be tapped because of my experiences that I'd had up until that time, which was kind of unique, if you will. Um, the university wanted to start its conversation again with the province and others 
to create a law faculty, something a little bit different. So we took the experience, the experiential learning of the law practice program and started formulating a potentially new type of law school. And for three years, I was doing the LPP on the one side and engaging in those conversations, the drafting, the researching, the consultations for the law school until that got launched and opened. And I'll tell you a lot of work, but so much fun to, to be able to do that. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for reminding us of the power of words and and how to frame that. So that's definitely something I'm going to take with me today. And also, uh, thank you for sort of explaining, you know, sort of the process that you've gone through and all these unique opportunities that you've had. But we want to zone in a bit more on the LPP program because it's so neat. And we would love to hear a bit more about the process of taking it from the idea to implementation and how you feel it fills a gap in the legal market. I love to talk about the law practice program, near <laughs> and dear to me. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, remember that the law practice program came after a uh, proposal process with the Law Society of Ontario. And so a lot of work had been done before I even got there of people thinking about what it might look like, uh, thinking about partners that might be involved, um, having some of these initial conversations before they were able to submit a really great proposal to the law site. So that credit in terms of the development and thinking about it, I cannot take it all. Once they got the, the yes from the law society, we had about nine months, uh, ten months. I was hired uh, in January of 2014, and we were to we were required by our contract to have the first cohort up and running by end of August, early September. So nine months, just less than nine months. And it was my boss, Chris Bentley, uh, at that time, the executive director, and one part-time person that we had who was supposed to put a program together for between two and 400 people with faculty and a curriculum and partners and get jobs for people for the placements. And so, again, when I was hired, I knew what was at stake. I knew what we were looking at. And also doing all this, um, Aaron and Piper, as you, as you sort of alluded to, doing it in a way that raises information to the profession, brings them on board to do something differently. And we know how, how challenging sometimes swaying the profession to try something a bit different can be. So that was a big part of the job at the beginning as well. And then also trying to figure out how we could best create this additional pathway to licensing that was effective that was um, transformative, that was um, uh, engaging, and somehow do it online. Because that was one of our, uh, we came up with, at that point, we were doing three weeks in person uh, at the beginning, middle, and end, but the rest of it was all going to be online. Because our mandate from the Law Society was to reach as many people across the province as we could, so not be Toronto-centric, not require people to come, uh, come downtown. Well, that was a great opportunity for us to try and figure that out. Um, but the, the running joke for a while was, oh my gosh, we're about to take off with this plane and we're still fixing the, the you know, the engine and, and getting things running. Uh, it could be a little bit overwhelming, but it was a four month training program and then four months of, uh, of the placement. And we knew we launched in August, end of August, not everything had to be absolutely perfect or, or complete, uh, you know, on launch day. There still could be some things that we're tinkering with. And I'll tell you a couple of things. That really reminded me that it really was sort of an innovative and an entrepreneurial focus or, or thinking because 
perfection you can't have you try you take risks you take a you know you try something and with that first cohort who I'm forever grateful was our 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 you know uh, test but they were our test cohort we would ask them every week because we'd have um, a regular managing partners meeting where all 200 I can't remember the first cohort 250 people would uh, would be on online and we would ask them for feedback. And sometimes we had gotten it wrong. And so we'd have to pivot really quickly to try and correct. Um, listening for feedback, asking for feedback, and then making the changes that we could uh, along the way. I think it was really important for us. And the first thing that we did was grow a wonderful team. So we got people on board who could support the, the work that was needed. Um, they were all, I think one of the beauties of that team and other teams that I've worked with is everybody believed in the mission. This was a program to support really great candidates for licensing who didn't have uh, particularly necessarily the chances that others would. And so what could we do to support them? So we had the team in place that could support them. We got members of the profession who were really interested in the same mission we got them on board as subject experts, got them on board as mentors, and eventually, um, for the second part, got them on board as employers of the candidates for the four months. And in addition to working with the community, we also had to work internally uh, with the, the university, because here's this new program, this thing called the Law Practice Program. This, the university didn't have a law school, so what are we doing this law thing called the Law Practice Program? And then engaging people within the internal part of the community as well was really, really critical. And, and I will say, I've got it, I mean, hats off to so many different people. But when I was at the ITLP, I learned that there were other bridging programs, other professional bridging programs. And in the medical science program, so for doctors, for nurses, they were using actors to do some uh, role playing for certain tests or certain exams that the doctors have. And I remember thinking back then, gosh, that would be a really great way to train future lawyers somehow or other, have actors play clients and, and you can actually get a hands on test of things. Little did I realize at the time that Ryerson did have that kind of a program and that as part of the proposal to the Law Society, we were supposed to be using that. And so quickly, um, working with that team, the, uh, the, the, the group of actors, they had to build up their roster of actors, be prepared to do it online, not necessarily in person, and expand their, um, their, their way of presenting the actor as a client in ways that they hadn't for other, they were doing things for social work and for the business programs in ways that they hadn't done before. So all these new things that we were trying, all these new things that we were engaging with um, was really quite, quite exciting. And then seeing the enthusiasm of the candidates, the gratitude of the candidates, the, the growth of the candidates. And I, I would say, and we would hear it. And that's one of the things that I really liked and I'll, I'll be quiet, but I just get too, too um, excited about this. We would get people in uh, at the end of August and they were, you know, like articling students are, like new lawyers are, like new professionals. They didn't know what they didn't know. And then we would get them, they'd be doing a lot of work in those four months, hands-on experiences with clients, drafting, research, one right after the other, time management um, issues. And I don't know how many times every year I get people saying to me by the December when the training ended, that was one of the most intense experiences we've had, but boy, did I ever grow. And hearing that from people um, was really, really, it was, it was really rewarding. And then being able to know that in the next part, when they actually went into a placement, 
they had seen a contract, they had drafted something, they had done a whole bunch of research, they had worked really hard in the past. And so applying that in the workplace, yes, you had to adjust for the nuances of, of the workplace, but it uh, they were ready. They were ready. We use the phrase, you know, they were hitting the ground running and they really were at that point. It's so interesting in episode 50 of the podcast, which just aired recently, we had one of our law school colleagues, Erica Masassi on who did the LPP and uh, Gina's like celebrating. Yeah, she's the best. And she has just gone on to start her own firm and she's incredible. And she spoke, uh, she spoke at length on the podcast about her experience in the LPP and how it really helped her shape both her, her skills and her like confidence that she knows that she can go out and really deliver for people. And so I think that that's fantastic. Um, and Gina, it's just, you've had such an impactful role in so many longstanding and important programs. And it's just, it's so cool. I feel like it's like everything you touch turns to gold. And I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit later about how there are so many things behind the scenes that other people don't see that aren't as shiny and bright all the time. But in the meantime, Gina, now you're at a stage of your career where you've launched your own coaching and consultancy practice. And within that, you use what's known as the coactive coaching method. And we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this coaching method and what drew you to this practice. Absolutely. Um, So one of the things that I I wanted just to say, and thank you for for confirming, I am in this next stage. And I've been thinking about this. It's a a long-term coming, a long time coming, excuse me. Um, The idea to go out on my own and coach and create workshops probably planted, was planted as a seed about 10 years ago. And it just took 10 years for it to morph into, okay, I'm ready. I also, there were too many other fun things to do and exciting things to do until I could launch this this new venture. Um, And my introduction to coactive coaching happened around that time, around 10 years ago, when I started thinking about what kind of coaching method would I want to find? And there were there were three in particular that I was being referred to. Um, two of them, it was funny because two of them were very corporate and, and I absolutely knew colleagues who had taken them and they were doing some really fabulous things. It just didn't jive with who I was. Now this one, the um, some of the materials I thought were a little to kumbaya, a little too out there. And I thought, oh, this is not what a lawyer would do. This is not what a professional would do. And I felt a little bit nervous about taking it. And then as I drilled into it a little bit more, I thought, hmm, this kind of resonates with me. I like what they're looking at. And the the methodology itself really thinks about a partnership. And your client is not just somebody that you go and you give advice to, because that's that's not coaching. Um, But your client is there as a partner to be able to figure out and transform them and their life, whether it's in career or otherwise, I was always focused on career um, in an engaged way together with you. So you're not leading them necessarily. They're the ones. And there's a phrase that um, that CTI, the Coactive Training um, Institute, has that I really, really respected and I think was drawn to. And I just wanted to remember it. It holds clients naturally creative resourceful and whole. And each time I did a course where that would come up and the reminder, I thought, yeah, you know what? Each of us has within us that ability to be creative, resourceful, and whole. And we sometimes forget that. And as a coach, to be able to draw that out in people, I'm not coming up with the answers. I am helping you come up with what really works for you. You've got the answers somewhere. It's just that sometimes you're, you're, um, there's a barrier and we'll try and find a way to get through it. And so CTI was really 
um, the one program at the time that resonated. And I'll also say I'm a big believer in serendipity. It happened that the first course that the first day of the first course that I would have to take if I decided to do CTI, uh, the Coactive Training Institute, fell on my on a milestone birthday. And I took that as a sign. I thought, you know what? It's got to be this one because it falls on this particular birthday on my actual birthday. It's meant to be. And uh, haven't looked back. I did the training over an extended period of time. I did the certification again over an extended period of time. And then I took a pause. I was trying to sort of do some coaching on the side with the other work that I had um, until finally I said, no, I want to devote most of my time to this now. That's amazing. And I also believe that it was a sign and clearly it all worked out for the best. So that's so amazing to hear. So we would love to know a bit more about the Career Conversations Book Club and how people can participate. And I love this because I used to have this group chat with my friends. Um, I think it's still active. It's called the Book Club Chat. And it's supposed to be out about books. We have never once actually made it a book club. So I would love to hear some sage wisdom on how you have gotten this off the ground from an idea to a living being. So I don't know if I can offer sage wisdom, but I'll tell you what I did. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that I realized um, last year, as I was saying goodbye to my colleagues and and striving to plan what I wanted to do, um, coaching is really, really important to me. The one-on-one discussions that I have is really, really important. But given the work that I've done over the past 20 odd years, I was always involved with teaching or workshops or facilitation. And I really like that part of the role as well. And I didn't want to lose it. So I thought, how can I incorporate some of that in in a way that is still meaningful in a career context? So, you know, toying with some ideas. Um, There was one day when I was looking at a stack of books and and Piper, I can't remember if it was you, somebody on LinkedIn had posted this stack of books that they hadn't gotten to. And I thought, oh, I've got two of those stacks of books that I haven't gotten to. And I realized that I want a chance to be able to read through them. And I also like conversations of bringing communities together. And I thought, okay, I can read them, but what do I do with it? Um, I've never been, sorry, for about a month, I was a part of a book club, but it didn't, it didn't move forward for me after that. But it was like my group chat. Right, exactly. We would have we would have you know uh, cocktails and and uh, food, and then not talk about a book after that. So with this book club, I thought, okay, I want to focus on career conversations. The books that I was looking at were ones that um, were either leadership or um, career advancement or career success in law or ex- outside of law, not necessarily law related. And I thought, I love people and bringing communities together. I love books and learning. And I also really just like the idea of, um, of having uh, doing this online because with, with the new systems that we're able to, Zoom is easy enough to do. So I had an initial few calls and conversations with some authors and I wasn't sure because I thought, okay, we could do just a book club and we would chat, people would talk about the book, but I wanted the author's perspective. And so when I was able to get two or three people initially to say, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds kind of neat. I thought, oh, let's try this. And like everything entrepreneurial, you launch it. I thought I'm going to launch it for a full year. I'm going to try, you know, I may not have a full 12 months roster and I now have nine of them where 10 was today. I might be able to confirm the 10th soon. Um, but I thought, let's just launch it for the first, uh, for the first year. It's once a month. It's free. It's online. It's seven to eight thirty 
Eastern time using Zoom. Uh, registration is really simple. I think we can post the uh, the registration link. Uh, and you know, the first one was with, and I've got to say, I had fabulous time with the very first one, Kathy Caprino and Power Gaps. She was a career strategist that I'd been following on LinkedIn for. I don't know, three or four years. And I just was mesmerized by her. And I just thought everything that she was saying resonated. Um, and I reached out to her, not thinking she would ever respond. And when she did, and when she agreed, I thought, oh my God, I had a bit of a fangirl moment going on uh, with, uh, with her being able to join us. And it was really great then just having a conversation and extending my network and other people's network through her. The Norm, Norm Bacall with Never Stop uh, came last month uh, in February. He was just launching his um, that third book. And when he and I talked, he said, we could talk about one of the other two books, but it'll be around that time. It's brand new. I said, let's talk about the brand new one. The other two we can incorporate, but let's talk about the new one. Um, and we've had, I'm really glad that the people who are joining, because the, the format, really simple. First, about half hour is talking about the um, author's journey, because I really want people to hear, as you do, other people's journeys. How do they get there? What are they doing? How have they gotten to the cool stuff? How do they overcome the barriers? Um, so that's the first half hour. The second half hour is digging into the book and some of the juicy things that, that the book teaches us. Um, and then the third, ha third half hour are... Um, questions from the audience. And I got to tell you, I was nervous as anything. I thought, what if nobody asks a question? What if nobody participates? So I had my backup questions just in case. So far in both of them, people are so eager to ask and clarify and share. And, uh, and you know, that 30 minutes goes by really, really quickly. And, and what I will say is for the Ontario lawyers, we've gotten LSO CPD accreditation. So for this this month in March, uh, pardon me, from March is I've got Dali from talking about uh, gender at work, understanding gender at work. And given that it's um, International Women's Month, um, we were able to actually have the CPD hours at 30 minutes is for EDI. So you actually get your EDI requirement. And then the other hour is for uh, your professionalism hours. So there's a benefit if you're an Ontario lawyer, other than just the community and the learning. And i I have had some people say, I haven't finished the book or I wasn't able to get the book in time. Is that a problem? My, my comment to them is join us, you know, join us, have the conversation. Uh, if you haven't gotten the book yet or gotten through the book, you'll at least engage in the conversation. Gina, that's amazing. And when I saw that you launched this initiative, I just thought this is filling such a gap. Like, I really do think that it's, it's you've found this really great way to bring people together in a really like low stakes, calm environment, which I think sometimes people are looking for as well as like a way to get to know other people and like learn from each other in an environment where you can be in your own home. You don't have to be, you know, maybe dressed to the nines. You can be cozy and just like enjoy the conversation. And I think that that is such a beautiful thing that like, again, you built something from nothing and it's just, it's worked out so so it's so great to see it floor. I know you have amazing speakers um, and conversations lined up for the rest of the year. And we'll link all of those details in the show notes. So Gina, I was alluding to it earlier. I was saying, you know, it's, it really feels like everything you touch turns to gold. And, and I say that with such like admiration for you and all of the work that you've done. And I would love to hear a little bit though, about some of the setbacks you've potentially faced in your career and what you learned from those experiences. 
Oh, absolutely. Anything that looks like it's just gold. Um, no, uh, there's always something behind it that that is a challenge, right? Um, and I think I was sharing with you previously, uh, I have had, when you think about my, my law practice, and I include my articling and then working in law practice, then Osgood, two roles there. So two roles in, in practice, two roles at Osgood, my ITLP at U of T, the MAG role that I had, and then at uh, TMU, the, uh, the university, uh, with both the LPP and the launch of the law school. So in total, there are about eight roles uh, at the five um, employers. But what people don't oftentimes realize or think about is that for each of those jobs, and I was so glad and grateful that those roles came up because they, they were the right ones for me at the right time. And that's a lesson for sure. I had been sending out applications left, right, and center sometimes. If you know that you want to make a move and you feel like you, or there's a, a role that you see that resonates with you, I, I know that I've made tons of applications that I got a resounding no to. Sometimes wouldn't get any response to. Other times went through interviews and got heartbroken because I would think, oh, that's the role that I really want. And I always think that something, my, my takeaway is um, you can plan and you can uh, work towards something, but sometimes that no opens up another opportunity. So there was a particular role that was at, uh, at TMU that I had applied for before even going to U of T. And I was heartbroken at that time when I didn't get the role. I thought, oh, you know, this is lousy. All your self, all my self doubts come up at, at that point. Um, but it was meant to be because then I was able to move into the U of T role that actually moved me into MAG role that was the connection to the TMU role. And so along the way, there have been other opportunities like that where we think we're devastated because we don't get the one role that seems right. But if you don't get it, there's a reason for it. And always, I, I would oftentimes go back and ask for feedback. And it's the feedback that I would sometimes give when I'm dealing with the uh, with, uh, interviews, which is there was something about your candidacy that uh, was really great, but others had a different skill or a different um, uh, possibility. Or we, I've got to say at some point, I think after the fact, I would thank the employer, the potential employer, because what looked good on paper, when we went to, when I would go to the interviews and listen to what they would say, I'd realize, oh gosh, I really don't want to have to do that. Um, and, and so until you actually get that connection at an interview with the organization, with the individual, with the role, um, it's okay sometimes when things don't work out because other things will come along. And I think that was a really a good lesson. My 30 years of experience with those five employers does not mean that I've only applied to five employers. I have had applications that have gone astray. So I'll, I'll say that, um, the other thing that I that was really good reminder for me was um, there was a an application that was being pushed on me at one point in one of my points in my career, and I felt like I had an obligation to the organization, to the individual who was in a very leader in a very high position. Um, they were wanting me to apply for this role and uh, and move forward with it. There was a need that they had to fill, and I remember being very torn, thinking. I don't really like this role, but I feel like I have to do it for the organization. And what happens if I don't? And I remember being at a conference with a really good friend and mentor, and he and he paused me and he said, Gina, I'm hearing all the reasons why the job, why you would be good for the job. 
but is the job good for you? Is this role good for you? And I have used that, that pause many times with students or associates or people who are looking at leaving law for other roles. You'd be great for this role, but is the role great for you? And allowing yourself permission to ask that question can be pretty powerful at times. Um, that, that is sorry. excellent advice. Sorry, I would just, as everyone knows that there, um, that we type to each other about, you know, who's going to ask the next question um, and keep track of all of our speaker notes. But I was just like, oh, I am loving this. I'm loving this, Gina. Please keep going. No, no, I um, I think the other part that I wanted to, the other challenging part that I wanted to share is there was another role that I had taken and I won't sort of specify which one. It was the shortest of all of them um, where I went eyes wide open. I knew there would be some challenges with leadership. I knew there'd be some challenges with the the role itself. And I thought, ah, no problem. I can, I can handle it. And, and it's really exciting. There's great opportunity, great room for growth. And I really, I can remember um, calling my husband and saying, I found my forever home. And I thought, I know I've got my eyes wide open, what could go in? And it was a quote unquote permanent position. And permanent positions are something that we don't take lightly sometimes, right? Um, and it was a really great opportunity for two reasons. One, I got to see how an organization that I wasn't familiar with ran and operated. But I also got to see, I think more importantly for my own growth and development as a future, as a leader at that time, was what I wanted and what I didn't want from leadership. And even though it was really challenging in that year, um, it was also very eye-opening and it 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 reinforced several of the things that I would not want to see or do as a leader or with a buy from another leader. And it also um, reinforced, it, it actually did two things. It reinforced for me how to handle difficult situations like that. And after I left, it also reminded me of some of the things that I could have done differently. And I think those were lessons that in the moment I couldn't see, but from a distance, it, they certainly added huge lessons for me that, that were really important. Wow. Thank you so much, Gina. This has been so amazing. And I honestly could just sit here all night and listen to everything you have to share because you've had so many neat opportunities throughout your career. And we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. But we like to wrap up every episode with the same question, which is what is something new that you've learned recently? Oh, um, so at a conference, at a conference, at a presentation last week, I I had seen and heard the theme of the tallest poppy or the tall poppy syndrome. And you might be familiar with it and some of your listeners might be familiar with it, but it was something relatively new to me. And um, it was, the, the research was being presented by a woman who I respect, um, who I had taken an emotional intelligence certification course with, and it, she's now running the Women of Influence. And I thought, you know what, I wanted to hear what the study was. And as I sat there for the breakfast meeting as she was presenting, um, the tall, tallest poppy syndrome uh, really 
in, in short, in summary, uh, is when successful people, and in her instance, she was referencing and she was researching women in particular, when women are successful or when women achieve, uh, they can oftentimes be cut down uh, and cut back in their in their experiences. And that has um, mental health issues, that has career issues, because people will refrain from seeking that promotion or refrain from moving ahead in, a, in an opportunity. Um, and so it was really neat to hear the research that she had done. She had done one in 2018 and then it uh, more Canadian based. And then she expanded it in the last year and went global. And so she's gotten research uh, input from people, men and women around the world uh, on this TPS, the tall, the tall poppy syndrome. And it's really helpful as we think about our workplaces, not just individually, but as our workplaces. So there are people there in HR departments, there are people in leadership roles, there are people in academic institutions, for example, and thinking about the impact that um, words that are said, oh, you don't need that, uh, you know, you don't belong in that role. Oh, you got that role because of, list the ABC how those can be demoralizing, demeaning to an individual who is successful because of her skills, and I'll say her skills or his skills. Um, and it could come from a leader, it could come from a peer, it could come from family or friends, it could come from a provider or a client. And so it, it's not just one source and being able to number one, name it and identify it. Number two, manage it um, internally uh, within an organization and then broadly within our society, I think was really, really cool. And I will say she had a lawyer, an employment lawyer, who was able to talk about the legal effects. So again, being able to meld all those different pieces was really cool for me at that breakfast. But it's something that I'm really interested in learning more about and talking about and, and, and pursuing uh, more so as, as I go forward in this new chapter. That's so spot on, Gina. And I think it really just shows like, I really believe that there's room for all of us to win. There's room for everyone to win. There's room for everyone to shine and be a very, like as bright as they want to shine. Um, and I think like the more that you build up others around you, the more good things come back to you. And it also just feels good to cheer other people on and to support other people and to lift others up because when you're lifting somebody else up, you know that they're doing good in their community and their respective sort of area, whatever they might be working on. And you know that that's helping others. So I just, I don't see why we wouldn't want everyone to win and everyone to excel. No, yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's really important um, as women, as professionals, as individuals, just to be able to, to cheer people on, to support them in their growth and do so as um, as um, honestly and authentically and sincerely as possible. And that's what I, what I love. And that's what I acknowledge and, and celebrate the two of you for doing this and bringing this platform forward to so many people. Gina, thank you. It's been so fun talking with you today. I have been so looking forward to this. I know we both have. Um, we are going to link all of the amazing ways to get in touch with you and to get involved in um, the, the Career Conversations book club if people want to seek you out, and they totally should, for uh, coaching or consulting, workshops, etc. cetera. Um, we're going to link all of the ways to get in touch. Thank you so much for sharing just a snippet of your career journey with us today. It has been like a pleasure and a privilege. It has been my pleasure, my privilege. Thank you so much for doing this, both of you. And uh, to all who, who listen, thank you for taking the time to listen. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode. To stay up to date with the podcast, follow us on Instagram at Off The Tracks Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform for a brand new episode of Off The Tracks Podcast every Tuesday.